in the past, in the past when I would get extra money, I always had a running list in my head of what that money was going to do. <laughs> Kayaks, coffee, chocolate, um, giving some away, kayaks. Oh, we already mentioned that. <laughs> and I would have this running list in my head. Um, and, and I would spend it several times over in my head. You ever do that when you know you're getting a big chunk of money? Maybe it's an IRS refund. Maybe you've actually made an actual list and there's the, you know, it's, you feel like a kid at Christmas time and a kayak and a new car. And so we're going to get a new rug in the entryway. Um, these days, when I get big chunks of money, it's already predetermined where it's going to go. It's already, it goes one of four places. It goes to God. It goes to braces. It goes to house repair. It goes to college savings. God, braces, house repair, college savings. It, <laughs> Nowhere in that list is a kayak <laughs> or coffee. <laughs> okay? And I, sometimes I go, I earned that money. Or the government gave me that money. It should go to other things, but it's predetermined. A long time ago, a long time ago, I had assumptions about money that didn't square with reality. One of my assumptions was that it was my money. And the second assumption was I could do whatever I wanted with it. And, and I've learned along the way, and I'm going to share with you today what I've learned uh, from the Bible. Uh, for those of you that are younger, I know this may come as a shock, right? Because I, I know where you are. If you're 19, this is what you're thinking. Oh, oh, when I'm 20, when I'm 24 and I'm out on my own. Let's all go to that moment for a minute. I can do whatever I want. I can spend my money however I want to spend it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so awesome. There's some grown-ups with grins on their faces. Because they walk, in fact, there's some 30 and 40-year-olds here today in the gym. And if they could take you out to lunch, what they would go is, yeah, we thought the same thing. And there was a whole decade and the money just disappeared. It was gone. <laughs> and then at the end, all we had were these bills. <laughs> and it was hard. And every time we had to pay the bills, it was just painful because they wanted all our money. Okay? So I want to tackle a common myth about money today. And the myth is that it's your money. That's the, that's the myth I want to tackle. And the second thing is I want to issue a challenge. And here's the challenge. I want to challenge you and cheer you on to become a traffic cop. You know what a traffic cop is? We used to have these in Chicago downtown for special events. Big, hulking guys. They would have the sleeves rolled up with the whistle. You know, and if he told you to come, you came. Because he had a big gun. Okay? I want you to be a traffic cop about the money that comes through your hands so that it's going exactly and precisely where you tell that money to go. All right? And to do that, we're going to be in a passage in Luke. Luke chapter 16. Some of you who've been around a while will go, I think we were just there last year. Yes, we were, and we're coming back to it because it's probably one of the most important passages in the Bible, Luke chapter 16. And this is where Jesus cues us in on this idea of stewardship. If you grew up in a church, you probably associate that word with raising money to buy a building. Oh, stewardship, gotcha. Okay, they want money, so we build a building, got it. No, 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 that's not what it means at all. So Luke chapter 16 Jesus is telling this story to explain how money works and what God's perspective on money is. And this is what he says, Luke 16, verse 1. He told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. And the word for manager is oikonomos. 
Those of you that are really good with English recognize it. Oikonomics, economics, economics. That's where we get the word from, okay? And it meant a household manager, okay? It's where we get the word stewardship from, okay? This guy was a household manager. The manager is not the owner. The manager is simply managing someone else's money. Um, and so uh, the Bible in, in Psalms puts it this way. God says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And that was one of the first assumptions that I got corrected years ago. I realized, oh, yeah, I guess if there is a God who made everything, well, that makes sense. From his vantage point, I get it. He probably looks at everything and goes, mine. Right? I mean, if you think about it, if you step outside yourself for a moment and you kind of look at it for what it is, you're going, oh, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, if you made everything and it came from you and it's sustained by you and it's going back to you, yeah, you'd look at it and go, mine. <laughs> okay? Makes perfect sense. Okay? So that's the first thing that he's cueing us in, in at. Okay? And, and then comes the really juicy part of the story. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. Okay, so it kind of plays out like this. I imagine this scenario. The guy's out in the morning, and he's having breakfast, and he runs into a, an acquaintance of his, and the guy is nervous, and he's, you know, I wasn't going to mention this, but you know that you know that guy who's managing your money? Oh, yeah, Bill, I know Bill. I, you need to check in on what he's doing. I mean, I'm not saying anything. It's none of my business and all, but, you know, you should check on him. Okay, and then later in the day, the guy's out on the fourth hole, okay, he's getting ready to tee off, and the guy, one of the guys that he's having golf with, the guy says to him, hey, you know Bill, right? Oh, yeah, Bill, my money manager. Yeah. You know, okay, my wife told me that I should tell you this. He's stealing you blind. I mean, you need to take action, buddy. Okay, so there's the second part, okay, of verse uh, 2. It says this, so the employer called in the manager and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. The guy's got 24 hours to produce the books and hand them over to the boss man. And he panics, and rightly so. This is what he says. Verse 3, the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig dishes. I'm a scrawny guy. I'm too big, too proud to beg. I know. I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. What he does here is he comes up with a plan to make sure that he's not homeless and has no food in a week or two when he's out of work. Okay, And, and, and the next several verses show us his plan that he devised. Okay, Verse 5, so he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come in and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill quickly and change it to 400. Okay, so he's cut basically the bill in half. Uh, some would say he was just cutting out his commission. No matter how you look at it, the guy's taken out a significant part of the bill. Can you imagine if you owed money? Let's say you were stu- you owed, uh, t- let's say six thousand dollars left on your car. You were paying off your car, and Toyota came to you and said, "Hey, could we work out this deal? If you pay us two thousand, we'll consider the bill paid in full." What would you be doing? I love Toyota. 
go, what a feeling. Okay, you would be in nirvana, which is exactly what the response of these guys in the parable are. Okay, and then verse 7, how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat was the reply. Here, said the manager, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. So at this point, the disciples who are hearing the story, they're thinking, oh, my goodness, this is, I, I can't wait to hear what happens to this manager. This guy is going to be boiled alive. This is going to be great. Okay. And Jesus says this in verse 8, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. What? What? Yes. And it's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. And so here's the lesson, okay? So he goes on, and Jesus is telling us... Now, Jesus is not commending the guy's dishonesty. He's commending the fact that this guy had a plan and worked his plan. And Jesus is like, oh, yes, he planned for his future. This is awesome. And then Jesus tells us in the next several verses what exactly that means. In verse 9, Jesus spells it outright. He says, here's the lesson. Ding! Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. Uh, It's a tool, okay? So that's the first thing about money and God's perspective on money. Money is a tool that is given to you and me so that we can leverage it so that when we get to the other side in heaven, in the resurrected life, we run into people who say stuff like this to us. I want to thank you for that crib that you lent me, that basically you gave me when you were done with your kids. I couldn't afford it, and da-da-da-da, and it allowed me, you know, we were able to buy groceries that week. I just want to thank you. Or you run into all these people from Central Asia who come up to you and say, you know that $20 a month you sent to Gospel for Asia? I accepted Christ because one of those traveling evangelists came to my village and showed me the Jesus film, and I was like, sign me up, okay? Wouldn't that be awesome to have people coming up to you on the other side and saying those kind of things? And that's what Jesus is saying. Money is a tool. Leverage it so that you have friends on the other side who are glad to see you. Then in verses 10 through 12, he tells us something else about money. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Now he's telling us money's a tool, money's also a test. The money that's put in our hands is a test to see what kind of character we have and whether or not we can be trusted with more. Would you like more money? I would like more money, right? It's, it bear, it, so from God's perspective, if he's the one doling out all the money to everybody, he's wanting to see that you and I are trustworthy. If you have a 14 or 15-year-old, you know exactly what I'm talking about because they've come to you and they've mentioned the fact that, hey, <clears throat> dad, mom, <clears throat> you know I'm 14. Uh-huh, yes. Well, in, uh, in a couple of years, you know, I'm going to be 16. Yes, yes. Um, you know, car. <laughs> okay? And then, however that conversation happens in your family, right? Okay? So they bring about, if you want to know how they'll treat that car, just look at how they treat their room. 
Look at how they're handling their bicycle. Did they leave it out in the rain? That's probably going to be a good indicator of how often that car gets its oil changed or how often the you know mats are vacuumed, okay? You know this is apparent, right? Okay, God is, and God says in the Bible, he's our heavenly father. So he's looking at it the same way. He's wanting to make sure, well, okay, you took care of the bicycle, so I'll give you a moped. And you took care of a moped, I'll give you a car, okay? And so uh, money is a test, And then the last thing he says, verse 13, he puts it this way. No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And here he's saying that money is a trademark. Money is something that is kind of like a branded thing for you because you're either going to be serving God or serving the money itself. And if you're serving God... Everybody looking at you goes, oh my goodness, there's Jesus. There's a Jesus follower. I can tell because of how they handle money and how money is coming in and out of their hands. Um, and so those three things, a tool, a test, and a trademark, it's a litter of it's old-fashioned preaching, but it's right there in Luke chapter 16, okay? So in light of that, in light of that, I want to draw out some conclusions from Luke chapter 16, all right, if you'll let me. The shrewd manager in this story that Jesus told had a plan. He had a plan. Let's be honest. Most Americans, when it comes to money, it kind of comes in and goes out, doesn't it? And I mean, you know, you're paying bills or whatnot, and then you run out of money, and you're like, okay, well, we'll come back at this at the next payday. There's no plan or intentionality. What if you had a plan? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be awesome that your money's actually going where you directed it to go? When it comes to money, do you know what they call that? They call it a budget. I know, I know, I know. It's terrible that I would mention that in God's house, but let's talk about that for a minute, okay? A budget. A budget is simply a plan. In the e-weekly that we mail out to you, we don't even call the church's budget a budget. We call it the church's spending plan. That's what we call it in the e-weekly. And that's all a budget is. It's simply a plan that is already predetermined about where the money's going to go. And it's actually a very spiritual thing to do, developing a budget, okay? So let me ask this question in light of budgeting and planning, okay? And here's my question. If you were evaluating your performance, your management of the money that's coming in and out of your hands over the last 12 months, would you give you a bonus or would you probably fire you? And based on your answer to that question, what needs to change in the coming weeks and months? Um, and so here's, here's your homework assignment. And I'm going to need some help passing these out. Ted's, I've got, I've got sheets only because, as I've told you before, I can't afford to give all of you Quicken or Microsoft Money, which doesn't exist anymore, but, you know, one of the programs. And, and so here's the first part of your homework. In the next 30 days, I want you to track where the money goes so that you know at the end of the 30-day cycle, wow, or holy crud, or whatever that revelation is, okay, so that you know exactly because you can't make a plan, an effective plan, unless you know where you are. And knowing where you are, step one is tracking where the money goes. So that's the first step, track where the money goes. And if people at work make fun of you, you you just look them in the eye and you say, this is a very spiritual thing I'm doing. Thank you very much. They may look at you funny, but that's okay because you want to be weird when it comes to uh, money in America because you don't want to be broke. You don't want to be living paycheck to paycheck. You want to have a plan and be working the plan. So that's step one. 
All right, so I know you're you're being given homework in church, but you can do this. Track the money. I have, um, I can't remember which program I have. It's either Quicken or the other one. What's the other one? Oh, all right, well, it must be Quicken then. And I go click, and it prints it out, and I can see in 30 days where all the money went. It's awesome. And we have a budget, which the kids don't like because it means certain things. Because um, the budget often is, is a no kind of a thing. But let me talk about that for a minute, okay? So step one, step one is tracking your money. That's the first step. The second step of the homework is after the 30 days, you know, have a family meeting. If that's you and your spouse, great. Sit down and have a family powwow about money and, you know, be nice. Because, right, in those moments you can say, well, I don't, you know, how did you, don't avoid that stuff, Okay. And, let's, and then, t- where do we want to go? If this is where we are, where would we like to be? And, and start to develop a plan for your money. Become a traffic cop and a good one and direct the inflow and outflow of money so that it's going exactly where you've predetermined. If you're a Christian and you're here today and you're a Jesus follower, I want to suggest to you that you should consult God. When developing that plan, God wants to be a part of it. After all, he's given you, from his perspective, he's given you the cash anyway. And so he'd love to be consulted about what happens with that money and how it goes. Here's the good news. When you develop that plan, when you develop that budget, that budget is not your master. God is your master, not the budget. The budget is just a plan, and plans can change. Can't they? Okay, so don't look at the, you know, you're the one who made the plan, so... That makes you the master of the plan, right? Okay, so don't, don't look at the budget as this big negative thing. Look at it as something that's just determining where things are going to go. Plans can change. But here's the saying that we all have in America, and you've heard this all the time. Those who fail to plan, plan to? Right. So when it comes to money, you want to have a plan because you don't want to fail. All right? Um, Here's what I know about your relationships and about when it comes to money and plans. You have these conversations. I call them the shoulds. You know, honey, we should really save more. You know, we should really replace that living room furniture that we got from Aunt Gertrude that was, you know, made in the 1940s and is falling apart. We should really be taking our own family vacations. Don't you have these conversations? All of them are money-related conversations. And if you have a plan, then you can get some of the places that you want to go. For example, taking your own family vacation so that you're not spending a week at Grandma and Grandpa's house or however that works in your life, okay? So here's, here's what I know on the other side. And uh, I get this from... Uh, uh, Corinthians, and this is, this is what basically God says is going to happen when we get to the other side. We're actually going to be asked some questions by God. And he, we're going to ask, he's going to ask us, that, that money that I put in your hands, where did it go? He's going to ask, what did you spend it on? And then he's going to ask, what did you accomplish for eternity with what I gave you on earth? And I want you to be leveraged on the other side so that there's people who are glad to see you because of what you've done with the money that God's put in your hand. And when you're 40, when you're 50, when you're 60, when you're 80 years old, I want you to get where you want to go in life and where God directs you to go in life. Wouldn't that be cool to not have to have a job, but be to, to volunteer and do the things that you want to do when you're 70? Wouldn't that be cool? It's all related to a plan. Wouldn't it be cool to you know, be able to totally redo your kitchen in 15 years? Of course it would. It all relates to a plan. 
And this is something that all of us can do. This will make you not normal, but it will be the best kind of not normal that you could possibly be in America, right? Because everybody in America is broke. They're living paycheck to paycheck. So track those expenses and start working on a plan. And if you get stuck, contact me, contact somebody. We'd be happy to help walk you through some basic steps. All right, so I want to pray for you because I know this is hard, right? Budget, this is, nobody likes to talk about this. It's like, oh, I don't want to talk. But really, this is simply telling money where to go so that you're going where you want to go in life and you're going where God wants you to go in life. That's what I want for you. And that's real financial freedom.